Turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 12 this morning. Jeremiah chapter 12 going on in our continuing in our series that we began, I was looking back, we began the study in April. Yes, in April, on April 18th. So we've been in it three months, is that right? Yeah, three months. So pressing on a little bit further in Jeremiah. This morning, Jeremiah chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 17. Over the years that I've been pastor here at Calvary Chapel since 1987, there have been times in my life and ministry that I thought, Lord, what are you doing? What are you doing? I needed to kind of get a grip on what the Lord was doing. I remember the significant, most significant time was when my dear late wife, uh, Cindy, got breast cancer and died at the age of 41. And I thought, Lord, what are you doing? Now, we could spend the rest of the morning and all, everybody would give testimony, couldn't you? <laughs> Maybe not something like that, but similar. Where you reached a point where you were saying, you know, Lord, I am totally confused at what you're doing in my life. Well, the reason I say that is because Jeremiah, in our passage, has reached one of those points where he's saying, what are you doing, Lord? I just don't even understand. Matter of fact, I don't even like it. And uh, not the first, this might be the first time that we've approached this, but this will not be the last time. Uh, there'll be later times in the book, we'll see where he will even say these words. I wish I had never been born. <laughs> I wish I had been stillbirth. Wow. This is not something that's going to be unusual for Jeremiah. Now, my purpose this morning is not to depress you, but <laughs> my purpose is to walk you through this experience, to walk you through it with Jeremiah. Let's grab a hold of Jeremiah's hand, okay? And kind of walk through this experience with him so that not if, <laughs> but when these kind of things happen to you, to me, to your family, to this church, you might not feel so weird. <laughs> not feel like, well, this has never happened. Uh, my friends, um, when we finish this chapter, we'll, we'll say, yes, this is part of the believer's experience in this world. So let's take a look. Let's grab a hold of Jeremiah's hand. We'll need it. Let's hold on to him. And we're going to, what we'll do is we'll, we'll just read a few verses and then comment. The first thing we see in verses 1 through 4 is Jeremiah prays freely to the Lord. Jeremiah prays freely to the Lord. Let me read the verses. Verses 1 through 4, chapter 12. Righteous art thou, O Lord, that I would plead my case with thee. Indeed, I would discuss matters of justice with thee. Why has the way of the wicked prospered? 
Why are those who deal in treachery at ease? Thou hast planted them. They have taken root, they grow, and they even produce fruit. Thou art near to their lips, but far from their mind. Thou knowest me, O Lord, and thou seest me, and thou dost examine my heart's attitude towards thee. Drag them off like sheep for the slaughter. Set them apart for a day of carnage. How long is the land to mourn and the vegetation of the countryside to wither? For the wickedness of those who dwell in it, animals and birds have been snatched away because men have said, he will not see our latter ending. Jeremiah prays freely to the Lord. Let's take a look at some of the elements of this prayer. First thing we see in verse 1 is Jeremiah has confidence in the character of the Lord. He has confidence in the character of the Lord. Jeremiah is troubled by that which is swirling around him. So what does he do? Does he complain? (laughs) Does he go uh, start a whispering campaign among his fellow believers? Uh, Does he kick the dog, yell at his wife, get drunk? Begin to fill his life with worry? No, the first thing he does is do what? He goes to the Lord. He goes to the Lord. Now, notice, however, the content of his prayer. Did you notice what his content of his prayer is? He says, Lord, you're doing it wrong. You are doing it wrong. And why does he say, why does he pray that prayer? Because, listen carefully, he has confidence in the character of the Lord. He says, you are righteous. You are righteous. And, second half of verse One, in matters of justice, I can talk to you these these things. So he has confidence that he can come even criticizing the Lord and what he's doing because of his character. Now, we're not like that, are we? (laughs) There are some people, don't you know, and some situations that you could not say anything to them without... You know, get back. You know, like you could come to me right after a Sunday service and say, you know, Pastor Neil, I'm really tired of your fishing, stupid fishing stories and your gardening stories and your surfing stories. And you're not going to get a real positive response from me. (laughs) Nor am I going to say to you, you know, I'm really tired of how crazy and messed up your kids are in Sunday school. You don't want to hear that. Or your husband's leering at all the women in the church. You don't want to hear that. (laughs) but he can come to the Lord and he just lays it out why? because he knows the character of the Lord so he prays with uh, confidence now in Psalm 73 we have a similar incident Psalm 73 just let me read one or two verses verse 1 says surely God is good to Israel to those who are pure in heart. That's true. He says, But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. I almost gave up. My steps had almost slipped. Why? He says, For I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Hmm, very similar situation. He says, I, I came close to stumbling. 
I almost kind of figured, well, what's the use? As he saw the prosperity of the wicked. But if you look down further on in the verse, in verse 16, it says, When I pondered to understand this, which was the prosperity of the wicked and how they seemed to get along, it was troublesome in my sight. I almost came to stumbling, almost gave up. Until I came into the sanctuary of God. Aha. And I perceived their end. It wasn't until he entered in to that place where he began to dialogue with God and entered into the worship and fellowship and prayer of God that he began to get some stability. And that's what we see Jeremiah doing. Well, he could have responded with all those things that are swirling around within a very, you know, in a bad way. But the first thing he does, he just enters in, enters in with the Lord. He has confidence in the character of the Lord, and therefore he prays. However, <laughs> the second thing we see in verses 1, 2, and 4, Jeremiah, however, is focused on the exterior and the obvious. So what's the problem? What is his problem? Well, the problem is, is he, uh, he looks and the wicked are prosperous. Not only they're prosperous, uh, they're at ease. And then he says, and you, God, have planted them. You did it. <laughs> you allowed them to set roots and now they're having fruit. I can't believe you're doing this, God. How did you do this? What's Jeremiah thinking? These characters, they're thinking they're getting away with it. Look what it says. Thou art near to their lips. They're giving lip service to God. But they are far. You're far from their minds. And look what it says here. Verse 4. But men have said... He will not see our latter ending. He's not even paying any attention. We can do whatever we want. We can give him a little lip service and we're going to get away with it. Now, there's a truth here that you have to grab a hold of. If someone begins to enter into some sort of wicked deed or evil sin, whether as a believer or unbeliever, and they don't instantly begin to see the judgment and the and the condemnation of the Lord on themselves. You know what they you know what oftentimes the sinner thinks? It's okay. God is pleased with what I'm doing. I'm going to be able to pull this off and it's going to be all right. <laughs> Don't you believe that? Just because he instantaneously doesn't judge you in your sin does not mean that he approves of what you're doing. And that's what they're thinking. And Jeremiah says they're pulling it off. But see, his focus, his focus is on them. Now, he knows theologically that God is sovereign. Amen? He knows that truth. But where's his focus? It's on what they're doing. Rather than that God is in control. And he doesn't like it. He doesn't like what God's doing. He doesn't agree with them. He doesn't like it. He doesn't agree with them. And he thinks that God is doing it wrong. 
Now, that's the same for us sometimes, isn't it? Say what's going on here in our country. You know, I don't like what's going on in our country economically. Do you? No. I don't like what's going on in politically. No. I don't like what's going on in morally in this country. Do you? No. There's a lot of things I don't like. But I cannot focus on that. I have to focus on who? On the Lord. That He is sovereign. And even though I don't like it, and I don't agree with it, my focus has to be on the Lord. My focus has to be on the Lord. Not them. Not them. Jeremiah, however, is focused on the exterior and obvious. And thirdly, in verse 2, Jeremiah is looking at others in evaluating his ministry with the Lord. Look at verse 2. You planted them. They're producing fruit. They're playing this game with you. And you could almost hear him saying, you know, they're prospering, but me and my ministry... What's happening to me? I know what is happening to him. He's being persecuted. He's having, we saw last week, and some of the folks from his own hometown were after him to kill him. He said, what's the deal, God? I'm serving you, and I'm having problems, and they, they're playing a game with you, God. And guess what? They're reaping the benefits. They're having a wonderful time. And he begins to evaluate his own ministry in light of what others are doing and what God is doing in their lives. Don't ever do that. Don't ever, ever do that. I remember years ago when I was down in serving in a church in San Clemente, there was a fellow who came through and um, in talking to him, I knew that he was struggling with lust in his life and Eventually, he uh, fell into sin with a young lady in the church, and it was just a big, awful mess, and he left the church, and rightly so. And he ended up at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Well, praise the Lord, that's good, good church. But then, within a period of months, because he was very glib, and he was real good with his hands and, and his voice in front of a congregation, he began to give the salvation, salvation message at some of the concerts. <laughs> and I thought, what's the deal with that, God? Here I am down in San Clemente, little rinky-dink, uh, little small potatoes thing, and I, my heart's pure. I'm trying to serve the Lord. And I know this character. What's the deal, God? Now the Lord took care of him. <laughs> he did. And I learned from that, well, don't pay attention to what God's doing in other people's lives. Uh, don't evaluate your ministry. Remember what Jesus said to Peter when, when he said towards the end of the Gospel of John, well, what about him, Lord? What about John, Peter said. And, and what did Jesus say? Don't pay attention to him. You come follow me. Don't look at other people's ministry, what God is doing in them. That's not an evaluation of what God's doing in your life. He's working with him. He'll take care of him, trust me. And he did take care of that guy. (laughs) He got him good. And he will. 
You pay attention to your stuff, your ministry. Be content in what you, God has given you. Fourthly, we see in verse 3, Jeremiah is feeling sorry for himself in his situation. This flows right from verse 2. You can almost hear the whining tendency in him, can't you? Look at verse 3. But thou knowest me, Lord. Thou seest me. You just examine my heart's attitude towards thee. You can almost feel this little pity party that he's working up. But here's the truth. Who was serving the Lord? Who was playing games with the Lord? Who had a heart for the Lord? Who was just giving him lip service? Who was going to be in his presence when he passed away? And who was going to suffer judgment? Hmm. You see... Let me, let me tell you very distinctly, it's not what God is doing through you. It's who you are in the Lord that's very important. It is. You might be small potatoes. You might just have this little tiny ministry. But if your heart is right <laughs> and you're loving Jesus and you've got confidence that you're going to go to heaven... And you're with him. <laughs> Don't worry about what he's doing with you. It doesn't make any difference. You are right with the Lord. Now, remember what Paul said? Philippians chapter 4. For I'm, for I'm, I've learned what? The secret of being what? Content in what? In whatever situation I find myself in. Whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's prosperity or hard times, it doesn't make any difference because it doesn't make any difference whether they're hard circumstances or prosperous circumstances. What the issue is, the main issue is, are you with the Lord? Are you tracking with Him? Are you having fellowship with Him? That is the most important. All the other stuff, He'll use you or He'll set you aside for a period of time. He'll, he'll work in your life. It's okay. You're with the Lord, then you're okay. You're okay. No reason to feel sorry for yourself, no matter what's happening in the other fellow's ministry. Measure of spirituality is your ability to be content in whatever circumstance you find yourself in. Whatever ministry opportunity or non-ministry opportunity. Finally, his prayer... Uh, we see that Jeremiah is looking for quick fixes and easy, simple solutions. Look at verse 3, latter half. Drag them off like sheep for a slaughter. Get them, Lord. Get them now. Now, our problem is oftentimes we get frustrated that situations that just what? Just seem to go on and on and on and on and on. We like... We're conditioned as Americans, you know, we watch a TV show or a movie. In the beginning of the TV show or movie, they present the problem, okay? There's the problem. And then in the middle, they present what? How it works out. And then the end is there. It's done. Within 
30 minutes or two hours, whatever it happens to be, it's solved. It's finished. There, good. Now we move on to something else. My friends, let me tell you something. Ministry doesn't work that way. It doesn't. Sometimes it just goes on and on and on. Much longer than you ever wanted it to go on. Now, one day in May of 1945, there was VE Day. Now, anybody know what VE Day is? You know what VE Day is? Victory in Europe. There was a day when it ended. The Second World War ended. I forget the date. I know. I think it was in May of 1945. Then in August, there was VJ Day. What's VJ Day? Victory over Japan. Later on that year, there was a distinct ending. <laughs> that isn't always true. There are times when there is a distinct ending, but many times it goes on longer and longer with... And there will be an ending to this problem that Jeremiah is struggling with. It'll come. However, there's some detours and there's some things that happen that uh, I just don't like it when you're going to end it. Give me quick, simple solutions. Life isn't like that, especially when you're dealing with people. You know, I've told this silly story before about about a pastor who was in the ministry for many years and then he just gave up and became an undertaker. And they asked him, well, pastor, why did you, why did you become an undertaker? And he says, well, when I was a pastor, I dealt with people, I deal with Mr. and Mrs. Smith and they had a bad marriage and I kind of got them together and straightened them out and before long, they just went back to the same old problems. And then I dealt with uh, little Jimmy who was struggling with some drugs and got him you know, got him, went him through U-turn for Christ and got him clean and sober. And, um, uh, and then everything kind of, you know, I straightened him out. But then later on, he just went back into it. And there was old Charlie. and uh, Charlie was alcohol and uh, got him to go on AA. And we got, and we got him straightened out. But then a couple of years later, he fell off the wagon again. He says, but now, when I straighten them out, they stay straight. (laughs) Uh, Looking for quick, easy fixes and simple solutions doesn't always happen in ministry when you're dealing with people. Okay, so verses 1 through 4, Jeremiah prays freely to the Lord. Verses 5 through 17, the Lord answers. He has this prayer, and the Lord answers. Let's first look about, and he, he speaks to the truth about Jeremiah's situation, Israel's situation, and the wicked neighbors. But let's first look at the Lord talks to him about the truth about Jeremiah's situation. Verses 5 and 6, let me read that. If you've run with footmen and they've tired you out, then how can you handle to compete with horses? If you fall down in the land of peace, how will you do in the thicket of Jordan? For even your brothers in the household of your father, even they have dealt treacherously with you. Even they have cried aloud after you. 
Do not believe them, although they may say nice things to you. Two points, two issues as he speaks to him. First thing he says to them, things could be worse. (laughs) Things could be worse. You may hardly make it with a running along with the footmen, what's going to happen when the horses come along? How are you going to beat them? If you're running really well in the plain, in the flat place, what's going to happen when you have to run through the bushes down by the Jordan? How are you going to handle that? Things could be worse. You know, a couple of, a couple of months, weeks ago, we were all complaining about the June gloom. You know, oh, when's the sun coming out? Well, guess what? <laughs> Sun's out. Even at that time, uh, I remember we just, it just was cloudy and foggy and cool all day. And then, then I turn on the weather and the weather back in New York City was 103 with 80 degrees humidity. It could be worse. Could be worse than what you're feeling right now. That's what he's saying to me. You know, never mind, it could be worse. I was talking to Farouz this week. And he, Farouz is our Persian pastor. And he was saying, you know, Pastor Neil, I got a growing family and I can't buy a house because of the economic situation and can't even get a bigger apartment, just it's too expensive and just, you know, and, I, and it, it's really bad. And I prayed with him and tried to encourage him. And then I said, you know, Farouz, however, it could be worse. You could be living in Iran, have the secret police at your door at 12 and you'd never see your family again. Oh, yeah. And that's happening right now. Probably to some of the people that Farouz talks to on the phone. Could be worse, couldn't it? Yeah, it could be. So he kind of uses this parable. The first thing he says is, could be worse. In verse 6, however, he says, things could be worse, but things will be worse. Did you see that? Now remember the folks that from his hometown were bothering him. They were involved in the persecution. But then he goes on and he says, but now what? Guess what? Your members of your own family are going to come after you. Your cousins, your nephews, your nieces, your brothers and sisters are going to be involved in the persecution and trying to kill you. So things could be worse. As a matter of fact, they will be worse. Well, Neil, you're not being very nice here this morning. You see, you know what the problem is? We want everything to end like all the fairy tales end. And they lived happily forever after. Now, I would like to tell you that. (laughs) The fact of the matter is, that's not the way it ends many times, is it? Isn't that true? Now, all of us are convinced that we're moving closer and closer to the second coming of Christ. Amen? Yeah, we're, it's true, isn't it? Yeah. And now, you believe the Bible? Christ is coming back. But just before he comes back, there's a man who's going to take over economic, social, religious issues of the day. We call him the Antichrist. And he's going to just, it's just going to be really rough seven years before the coming of Jesus to the earth. Now, if we believe that, and I do, and I hope you do, that means just prior to the church being lifted out of here, because I don't think we're going to get through the tribulation, 
that things are going to start to get really bad. It, it, wouldn't that be true? In order for him to kind of take over as soon as we're out of here and kind of get power and really begin to rule, means that things are going to have to get progressively, what? Worse. Um, and for Jeremiah and his family and Jerusalem and Judah, it could be worse. And as a matter of fact, it will be worse. It's going to get Really, really bad. Well, you're right about this time. You're saying, well, Pastor Neil, I really appreciate this message. But you have to deal with the text and what it says. Okay, so first of all, Jeremiah, he talks about the truth of Jeremiah's situation. Then he talks about the house of Israel. Look at verses 7 through 13. I have forsaken my house. I have abandoned my inheritance. I've given my beloved of my soul into the hands of her enemies. My inheritance has become to me like a lion in the forest. She has roared against me. Therefore, I have come to hate her. Whoa. Is my inheritance like a speckled bird of prey to me? Are the birds of prey against her on every side? Go, gather all the beasts of the field. Bring them to devour Many shepherds have ruined my vineyard. They have trampled down my field. They have made my pleasant field a desolate wilderness. It has been made a desolation. Desolate. It mourns before me. The whole land has been made desolate because no man lays it to heart. On all the bare heights, hill heights of the wilderness, destroyers have come for a sword of the Lord is devouring from one end of the land even to the other. There's no peace for anyone. They have sown wheat and reaped thorns. They have strained themselves to no profit. But be ashamed of your harvest because of the fierce anger of the Lord. The truth about the house of Israel is a sudden judgment is going to come upon them because they have left the true worship of God. And we've, we've seen this theme repeated over and over in Jeremiah. Then in verses 14 through 17, we see the truth about Israel's wicked neighbors. Thus says the Lord concerning all my wicked neighbors who strike at the inheritance which will I have endowed my people Israel. So these are the nations that have attacked Israel. Behold, I am about to uproot them from their land and I will uproot the house of Judah from among them. It will come about that after I have uprooted them, I will have compassion on them and I will bring them back, each one to his inheritance and each one to his land. And it will come about that if they really learn the ways of my people to swear by my name as the Lord lives, even as they taught my people to swear by Baal, then I, they will be built up in the midst of my people. But if they will not listen, then I will uproot that nation, uproot and destroy it, declares the Lord. What he says here about the neighbors surrounding Israel, because of what they've done, because of who they've worshipped, I'm going to destroy them. But did you notice... Just a hint, just a little bit of hint, that if those Gentiles would, what? Those Gentile nations would learn my ways. Ah, there's a little bit of a promise of what God would do with the Gentiles if they would learn his ways. So, verses 14 through 17, the truth about Israel's wicked neighbors, they're going to come under the judgment of God at the same time. Hmm. Okay, now, 
What a blessing this message has been. Uh, in the few minutes that I have left, you need to get perspective. Now, whenever you come across what I call a difficult passage in what it's saying, or maybe its interpretation, you have to kind of pull back, not just the verses, not just the chapter, not just the Hebrew scriptures or the New Testament, the whole of the Bible. You have to pull back and say, wait, 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 wait. This is really depressing, Neil. Wait, wait. Yes, but let's pull back a little bit and look at a, the bigger picture. And that's why I've written some New Testament truths that, that you need to hold in balance in light of what Jeremiah is going through. And I've listed four. And we'll move really quickly through them. First of all, in Philippians 3, 20 through 21, this world is not our home. We're alien and strangers. Our citizenship is in where? Heaven. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. This is like a bus stop. Now, when I was in the Air Force, um, many times I didn't have a car back then, I would take long-distance buses. One time I took a trip from Newark, New Jersey, all the way down to a little small town outside of Nashville. Long ride. We'd stop at these various bus stations. Now, now I'm not talking about local bus stations. I'm talking about Greyhound or Transworld, one of those, I forget the name of the other bus company back then. Ever been in a, at a bus stop, you know, like a Greyhound bus stop? Not the nicest place, is it? There's always somebody sleeping over there in the corner, you know, bedraggled, kind of has a funny smell. Not the nicest place. Guys, this is just a bus stop, and we're waiting for the bus. And the bus is going to take us to a lot better place than this. This is not our home. We're just passing through, and I'm hoping the bus is going to come real soon. First thing. Second, in Hebrews 11:13, list all these wonderful people, these great men of faith and women of faith. Amen. But you know what else it says? It says many have died in faith, not receiving the promises. What? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I thought if you just named it and claimed it, you'd get the promise. No, 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 no. Die. It is common. It has been common in the Hebrew Scriptures. That all those people who are waiting for the promise, what was the number one promise? First coming of Jesus, the Messiah. They waited and waited and they died in faith, not seeing the promise. Uh, what are you saying, Pastor Neil? I'm saying that what Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all those other guys, David and Solomon, all those guys, those wonderful people, they died without seeing the promise. Oh, I don't like where you're going with this one, Pastor Neil. There's some of us here, if not all of us, will die without seeing the promise of His second coming. Very possible. Very possible. Number three. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 says... We could find ourselves despairing of life. Now, if you look at that passage, that was an experience Paul had. 
Paul said he had an experience. He doesn't say what it was. He said he had reached the point where he was, looks like I'm going to die. <laughs> he said, I'm despairing of even life. Now, remember, we talked about Jeremiah. He got to a place where he said, I wish I hadn't I'd ever been born. Oh, well, Pastor Neil, that can't be, that can't be part of a, a victorious Christian life. Oh, really? You don't think Jeremiah was walking with the Lord? Do you don't think Paul was walking with the Lord? Part of life oftentimes is, and that's not for everyone, that you might reach the place where he's saying, man, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to make it. Now, Paul was delivered from that. But that's part of the experience of being a believer. My friends, it is part of what it means to be a believer. And just because you're at that place for a period of time doesn't mean that God has forsaken you. Doesn't mean that He doesn't care for you. Doesn't mean that He doesn't love you. But that's, Jesus said, in this world you will have, that's what He's talking about, the promise that God made to us. The last one is, found in Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. And what it means there is believers will be glorified or glorify the Lord. Unbelievers will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. That's what it says. Those who have persecuted the church, those who don't believe and have gone against Jesus, will suffer the penalty of eternal destruction. And those who have believed and put their trust in Jesus will glorify the Lord and will be glorified in the Lord and will magnify Him. And that's the day we're waiting for. That's the day. Because this world is not our home. This world is not our home. And some of us might pass before we see the promise. And... There might be days where it looks like Kate Smith is going to show up in any minute. But God is still with you. Okay. My cousin Jean, who's Italian, sent me this email. There's an Italian secret to a long marriage. Here it is. This is a story. At St. Peter's Catholic Church, they have a weekly husband's marriage seminar. The session last week, the priest, the pastor, asked Giuseppe, who said he was approaching his 50th wedding anniversary, to take a few minutes and to share some insights on how he managed to stay married to the same woman all these years as he approached his 50th anniversary. Giuseppe replied to the assembled husbands, well, I, I've tried to treat her nice, spend the money on her. But best of all, I took her to Italy for our 25th anniversary. The pastor responded, Giuseppe, you're such an amazing inspiration to all the husbands here. Tell us what you're planning to do for your wife on your 50th anniversary. Giuseppe paused for a moment thought, I'm going to go pick her up. I wish life was that easy. 
It's not. It's not. However, my dear friends, my dear friends, Jeremiah had some difficulties, as did Paul, as do you. As do you. And God is going to take us out of this world. And we can trust Him. And we need to get our eyes off all the crazy, stupid things that are going on outside this building. And focus our eyes on Jesus. Because He's our hope. And He's our promise. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we want to thank You for this very real, it's been real here this morning, story with uh, Jeremiah. And it's not the first time we're going to run into this kind of problem with him. Yet at the same time, he gives us real hope. We know that Jeremiah is in your presence, walking close with you in heaven, even today. Mm. He's with you. And... uh, What he experienced was an expression of what you wanted to do in his life. And Lord, if we say you're Lord, then we have to allow you to do what you want to do in our life. And we'll cry out when it hurts and yell and scream. But in the end, we'll allow you, as Jeremiah allowed you, to use him, to use us in whatever purposes you have for us. And then that day when we see you, that wonderful day, we'll say it was all worth it. And we do it all over again. In his name we pray. Amen. Please stand with me this morning. There'll be some pastors and folks up from the front if we can pray for you, some ladies and some prayer counselors. Please avail yourself if there's something going on in your life that you need prayer.